Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times, Episode 1. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, 53 million children are out of school and are likely to stay out for a month or two or the rest of the year. We don't know. Which is part of what makes these such extraordinary times for all of us. But what that means is that all around the country, educators are scrambling to figure out what to do and how to provide students with opportunities to learn while they're at home. Some districts have been stymied by a lack of computers and a lack of internet access. Others have jumped right into distance learning, trying to provide as normal a day as possible. Either way, we have entered into a huge unplanned experiment for which there are no randomized control studies. Education researchers are working to see if they can quickly bring together what might be considered best practices for distance learning, but for right now, even educators who have been extraordinarily successful in normal times are just trying to figure out what is best for their students. So what are they doing? That's what we'll explore in this podcast. From my social distancing home, I will talk with an educator or two sometimes whose schools and districts have been successful in the past. They are thoughtful educators with enormous expertise. Some of them you may have met as part of the Extraordinary Districts podcast, where we travel to districts that serve many children of color and children from low-income backgrounds and are either high-performing or rapidly improving. Others you may have met if you have read any of my books about schools. I want to hear how they are coping in this unprecedented time of mass school closures and how they are continuing to serve their students. I suspect that what they have to say will be interesting and possibly instructive. In this inaugural episode of Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times, we're gonna talk to an educator who you may remember from season two of Extraordinary Districts. John Daniel is superintendent of Cottonwood District in rural Oklahoma, and we're talking to him on April 6th, 2020. The episode of Extraordinary Districts that featured him focused on the fact that when nearby Lane Public Schools set out on an improvement journey, the educators there found that they were able to learn from the expertise of nearby Cottonwood, which has been high performing for years. Most of his students come from low-income families and between 30 and 40% are Native American, mostly Choctaw. So John, Oklahoma closed schools on March 25th, right? Tell us what you've been doing since then. Well, that that started the week of our our spring break would have been the next week. From then until they closed them until um, April 6th in the beginning. And at that time, I had kind of told my de- staff, you know, just looking at the the pandemic and what that what was going on in the nation, I kind of surmised that we would not be open for the rest of the the year. And so at that time we started working on, uh, I asked each one of, my, one of my teachers to put together a plan uh, to v- provide distance learning to, uh, to their students. And, and in our district, uh, you know, we, we usually staff um, everything we do, but I felt like in this instance, the, the plan had to cater to the teacher's strengths and what she needed to do in there. And so we've been, uh, each one of my teachers submitted their plan 
and then we just got that finalized last night and submitted to the state for our waivers. And uh, I'm usually me trying to get to my deadlines, and so we had one last night. So we worked late trying to get that into the state. So um, when spring break gets here, we're usually pretty much done, with, with, with a few exceptions, with any new material that we're presented. Um, when we come back for spring break, everything you're doing, practice testing, you're doing your state testing, uh, you're doing into school activities, and then you're out. I mean, so that that's just the flow of how it's going to go those last uh, four to five weeks. And so, um, so when we develop our pl- plan, I ask the teachers to mace- basically uh, look at, you know, practicing the skills that we already learned, not to be trying to teach new skills at home or, uh, and because our district has, uh, we have. A, technology in our district and we have but our parents don't have a lot of technology and so and, and I'm approximately 30 percent 30 40 percent don't have access to technology that's capable of running the programs that we've been using in the school and so each teacher kind of getting creative with uh, the technology you have using phones and using uh, so uh, we're trying some new things um, I was really shocked at the response we got from parents that did not want their kids using technology at home. I, I was kind of taken back by that because one, that's the easiest for the educators to be able to monitor and make suggestions, but they would rather have, um, they would rather see their kid, their ch- children working on a, on a, uh, paper pencil project or, uh, uh, and that, that kind of, I, I was taken back by that. I didn't, I didn't really, I, I don't know, technology has come to mean uh, things easier in education, easier to track, easier to monitor, and that that almost takes it back and makes it harder on our educators who, ha- who have a lot of tools in their hand as far as phones and computers, but uh, still have to go back and do it the old-fashioned way. So, What, what do you uh, think the parents are concerned about? Well, I, I'm not sure, and that's something that I will definitely follow up on next year because I we kind of our state required us to do a survey of parents, and and uh, one I think is maybe maybe they have limited resources, maybe they have limited time on their phones, maybe is one I've thought about. Uh, the other is maybe uh, un uh, they're afraid of something they'll get on if they're they're leaving them on their on their phones or their computers unsupervised. Uh, Maybe that's something that's going on there. Uh, I haven't really been able to, that's something I haven't been able to delve into at this time and probably won't till we start next year and kind of get, get some surveys out and, and maybe even talk to parents what, what the reasoning is in, in that. Uh, and I think it's, it, it is a horrible time uh, in our nation as far as what we're going through. And even, how you know we're trying to get through this but on the other t- side this is what brings uh, this is going to bring new technologies into the into the homes it's going to bring it's going to improve my teachers uh all around uh, you know we kind of even the week before this started i i had to update my computer to the latest windows they changed over my email so i've been fighting through this through this it's the worst time to be fighting through trying to find emails and trying to figure out why it's not going where it's supposed to be going and so uh, it's just even even some of those things kind of forced us into uh the next step to look at better ways to 
educate our students. Uh, it, it is not the best scenario, do I think, for our kids. And I'm really concerned about uh, the summer slide coming on, and that's why we geared it to practice all those skills that we've already learned because that summer's coming, and if we're going to add six weeks to summer, that's going to that's going to hurt for summer slide. And so I really want to – and it doesn't look like there's going to be any summer school or anything at this point to help prop those kids up. So I was really concerned with that. So I just wanted to nail down the skills we had. And so that's how our um, – our school and our teachers approached it. So one question I have is, do your teachers even have the Wi-Fi that they need, much less the students? No, they do not. Uh, some, I mean, I, we have, our, our school has quite a bit of technology here. And when I say quite a, quite a bit, it may not be the most update, but we, we do have a lot. And a lot of our teachers either come early or stay late, and they get their work done here, and then they go home. And so they have not, you know, we have had laptops in the past that went home, but they just never seemed to uh, take that to the next level at home. When they went home, they were with their family, and when they're here, they weren't. And so uh, most of them are geared to be here. Some of them live in rural areas where there is no Wi-Fi. Their phones hardly work in those Wi-Fi areas. And so uh, it it is it is a challenge. And so, um, you know, even in the beginning, we're trying to work out, okay, who can come to school, who can't, who can, who can be here, can they come in and do some – and so, you know, kind of trying to get work through that process of what we could do. And that, that's that's really hard. Uh, I, I've probably got um, it, it really mirrors the school. Thirty to 40 percent of teachers who don't have adequate Wi-Fi access to do uh, a Zoom meeting. Now, we've started Zoom meetings at school and a lot of them uh, with our teachers. And but, you know, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'm not on today. I'm using a phone. And but. uh my camera is laying here, it's pulled apart, but what what's happened is some of our teachers, they have to call in by phone, and sometimes that's not even very good uh, on the meeting, so, because they don't have access, so um, it, it, it kind of mirrors the, the school district, so. So, so is anyone in Oklahoma, are they working on this issue of getting broadband to rural areas? There have been some I mean, there have been talks of providing uh, hot spots and things like that, but most of the time, you know, there may be a mountain rock in the tower or there's things that just can't, I mean, we just have a lot of areas. And and I'm a little better than some of, uh, I kind of had a I had a meeting with some superintendents and I, I'm one of the better areas as far as um, uh, Wi-Fi service at their phones. I even had a representative tell me, that his uh, he had bought an extra internet at a business he has so he could get all this stuff, and he still has trouble. It's just not fast enough to get to download the things he needs to load. And I said, well, now can you imagine trying to do school, trying to download and upload? And and he was like, it, it's just not going to happen right now. I said, I, I know that. And so, um, you know, it's spotty. Some districts are better than others. It kind of depends where you live. Some people choose to live out on the back 40, they just don't have a lot of service and that's, that's how they like it anyway. So anyway, that's just rural Oklahoma. (laughs) So I know that um, Sharon Holcomb from Lane, uh, Oklahoma, she told me that they were very focused on getting kids fed. Is that something that's an issue for, for Cottonwood? I, I think that's an issue for all of Oklahoma, all of rural Oklahoma. The schools have focused on that. For Cottonwood, 
I, I'm a 80 to 90 percent transfer into the district. It's a little harder for me because I don't have as many picking up me. We are feeding, uh, but I don't have the num- the sheer numbers that other schools will have in their district um, b- because of my district limitations and things. And so um, it, it is a priority, and we're doing it every day. And because most of the people in Oklahoma went to the seamless summer, they can pick up meals wherever they live. It doesn't matter what district it is. They, they can pick those up. So uh, most of our kids are getting fed if, if they need it. And so uh, most of uh, when we have summer school, a lot of times we feed uh, breakfast and, and lunch in summer school. But, but right now we're probably not having summer school. So I just we haven't made those decisions yet. Those, that's coming forward. So. So I know you you spend so much time, uh, so much of your time on making sure kids can read and making sure kids are reading all the time. Is there a way of getting books to kids? Uh, that's a that's a big problem right now. We have a lot of our uh, the curriculum we use and has uh, books built in, and then we have uh, we've encouraged kids to read. I kind of put out a letter to my parents. Uh, encouraging them to read anything and everything they can that they have, uh, newspapers even, you know, which when you get down below second grade, that's a little harder. But some of them, there's a lot of things they can read, and I'm just encouraging them to read all all summer. I have a third grader myself, and so I understand how, I mean, he's going to slip if he doesn't read. And so we're, um, he has online tools available, and we're, that's what we're, have him using to to read. But but some of them don't. And so we're still working on ways we can uh, get those resources to them. Uh, we just we don't we just don't have all the answers. And that's something when we do our next uh, Zoom conference we'll, with our staff, we will we will talk to them about, OK, what what can we do here? And so we've mostly been getting um, practice packets to them, reading packets that they can read. Uh, but but they're going to either have to pick up again before school's out or they're going to run out of, of things to read. Uh, what I did ask my teachers is do not overwhelm the parents because this is new to them. If we sent home everything that we do during the day and we'd send home a week or two weeks, they're going to go, we'll never get this done. Because the school districts, you know, a student, a teacher, you know, they feed a whole elephant to a kid, but they feed it one bite at a time every day. And so you start sending these huge packets home to parents. I'm afraid they'll get overwhelmed and just not do anything. And I need them to keep, you know, practicing so they don't lose it. And so uh, that is one of my big concerns. And so. And and I think parents all over the country are, are kind of just saying, we can't, we're not teachers. Right. Um, and so I think you're... Uh, I suspect your your parents are are grateful that you're thinking about that. What about you as a parent? I mean, you've got a third grader. I know you have older kids as well. Are you all first of all, you're all safe and and healthy, I hope? Yes, we are. And and t- this morning the 6th was our first morning. Uh my wife is home and and they were um I I had a question about one of the parents I got, got through uh had said, "Okay, this is do we have to do all this? And so, and I, I hadn't looked at each packet, but I, I, I said, okay, let me, and because my kid child was in that 
great. I said, okay, let me look at that, his stuff. And so, and, uh, you know, it, it is a lot, but it's nothing that they haven't done. It's nothing that they're going to struggle. The parents says, oh, they can't do that. Or it's everything that they've done. They should be able to finish that. And my response was cut it in half. Do, do half of it. If you, they do half of it, that's going to be, that's going to be enough to help them practice and keep those skills that they have. And, and, and just don't limit it to school. Use those skills, counting, counting signs, whatever you have to do, uh, multiplication tables, those basic things that, that take practice to keep and practice to stay uh, on top. When they come back, we can teach procedures and we can teach how to do problems. We just, we just need them to have those basic skills that have been taught. So that firm foundation to stay on, whether that's reading, you know, if they practice reading, uh, small words and they have automaticity and they have, uh, fluency in those areas, then we, we won't have to reteach. We, we can teach the skills they need for next year. So anyway. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your, uh, your, your day. I know you're, you're really busy. What was the waiver that you were applying for last night? Well, for, for our distance learning program, we have a, we, uh, I think it's a blanket waiver for, uh, the district and I somehow missed the deadline. I thought we had a, a deadline to get it done, but we were actually starting today, but I didn't think we had to have it done, but uh, I got calls saying, Hey, I had to have that done. So anyway, I was bringing up the rear on that one. So, <laughs> And what's the, what's the most creative thing you saw from one of your teachers? Well, there, there was a couple of things. Uh, one, one of them is using her phone. They're, they're using their phone and a, and a scan option to scan those papers back in. Uh, for assessments to, she's going to do an assessment every so often on fluency just to make sure and they can, uh, and then anything she's doing that she could, she could use a scan. There's a scan app. Uh, then one of my teachers, uh, you know, schools have kind of been getting away from personal num phone numbers with, uh, students that, that, that's just trying to separate from the students to make sure, uh, Anyway, they're not, not anything inappropriate. So that's been kind of this push. And now when we come into this, we need to talk to them. There is a, uh, I guess an app out there that, uh, uses an anonymous number for the teacher. The teacher has a, gets a number that's not her personal home number. And then it records what, what, what they're doing. So I thought that was pretty ingenious. She didn't have to give her number, but she gets to talk to each one personally. They have a number to call, but it doesn't show up her number that she's always has access to the parents and stuff. So, I mean, there were just several uh, neat things that they were, um, we have um, several, you know, large pros that can monitor students. So there's a large, you know, if, if 60% do the online part, we're going to be able to monitor uh, no progress, no, uh, you know, where, where we're at with them. It's the other 40% that we'll have to really focus on. Uh, and we, we try to treat this, and I ask my staff to treat this just like every student has an IEP. Every student is an individ, individual education plan. And so that plan uh, may not have the same goals, but you know what their strengths are, you know what their weaknesses are, and let's build those Let's practice those strengths and, and build on those weaknesses and try to get us through this time and so uh, and get us back to some simile of normal. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, I, I kind of I, I dread this because I know there's a few out there that go, you know, we're just not going to do anything from this year till next year. I hope that's a student that 
is already on top of their class. I hope that's not one that needs the practice to stay up because it uh, it takes many years to get them caught up and for them to fall back, you know, three or four months is a big deal. And so um, it's also exciting because there are some new things coming forward. And I, you know, and I believe after this, when it's, what's all said and done, I think every school in the state and maybe in the nation will be, will be ready to, to do more of a distinct distance, distance learning, because that is, I mean, that is the way the future is coming. And, and uh, not every kid is geared to that. I understand that. I mean, I have kids in college that are doing it and one is great at it. The other is I'm a little bit scared. And so, uh, I mean, that's just their personality. So, uh, I know this is this is exciting time, and and there will be some neat things come out of it. So, yeah, it's 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 kind of a terrifying time. <laughs> I think you're right yeah. about that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mr. Daniel. Um, we at Ed Trust hope you stay healthy and safe, and uh, all your kids do as well. So, thank you so much for for taking this time. Thank you, and appreciate everything you guys do. Thanks so much. Um, so all the educators at Cottonwood and I know at Lane also are facing enormous obstacles in making sure children don't experience a ruinous interruption in their education. You heard John Daniel talk about his worries on that. And they're, John uh, Daniel didn't say this, but I will. Uh, they're doing so in the context of a state that has starved its schools of resources for years. Um, I want to I want to introduce my colleague from Ed Trust now, Tanji Reed Marshall. Tanji is a longtime English teacher who taught in both New Jersey and North Carolina and is now Ed Trust's director of practice. Tanji is sitting in her home and I'm in mine, and we're just going to follow up every interview I do with a short conversation about what we just heard. Tanji, you're talking with educators around the country. Are you hearing similar things to what John Daniel just said? Uh, first, Karen, thank you for the opportunity to join you and other educators around the country in this really important conversation as we attempt to figure out what new normal looks like in this new distance space that we're finding ourselves in. And yes, I've been talking to educators around the country. And similarly to John, schools or school districts are really trying to figure out what they're able to do in the context of what they have. So thinking about what their supply lines are regarding their materials, whether it's packets, whether it's computers, whether it's broadband, how are they going to structure continuous learning when students and teachers are not in buildings together, which has been the way we've done education in this country you know, for centuries now. Um, definitely seeing schools where they have what they need and transition very smoothly. They may have stopped to work on, you know, face-to-face -face on a Friday and were able to be up and running on a Tuesday. So yeah, it's, you know, it's been kind of a um, different way of doing work. And there are other schools where they were told, put together three weeks of packets. And then when we come back, we'll be able to move into the synchronous learning processes a little bit more smoothly, but we need some space to allow ourselves to figure this whole thing out. So synchronous is a, is a little buzzword that we're hearing a lot these days. You wanna just define that for us? 
Yeah, so synchronous, when we think about time, we think that time is synced up together. So same time, meaning the space in which students and teachers are together, they're in the same space at the same time. So synchronous is they're learning in the same space at the same time, almost trying to mimic their classroom. Then you're going to hear asynchronous, meaning that they are not learning at the same time. So the distance learning is what we're all doing. It's a matter of whether it is synchronized, meaning together, or not synchronized together. So the package that John talked about, that's asynchronous. Uh, Maybe having students do a few lessons on Khan Academy, that's asynchronous. Synchronous is maybe they're using BlueJeans or Zoom or Google Meets to have class together where teachers and students can see each other face-to-face. So uh, it's... uh it's funny how that word synchronous and asynchronous or th- those words just boomed out as though everybody would know what they mean. Right. 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 <laughs> exactly. No one knows what that means unless you are familiar with distance learning. So we're saying distance learning as though we're all doing the same thing and we're all doing different things. Right. So, you know, just because schools are out doesn't mean everyone is seeing each other every day face to face. So they're doing it in a myriad of ways to help teachers stay connected, to help students see their peers, to really kind of think through how best to continue learning. So I was interested that uh, John Daniel said that some parents are very wary of the of the online learning. And I thought, well, you know, A, if they're doing it on phones, that could be limited text plans, right? So every set of data could represent some kind of cost. B, I get that, right? The, you've already heard about the, the, um, uh, the way that- Zoom bombing. Zoom bombing, that's exactly right. Zoom bombing by some pornography site or something. It, uh, it sounds like you know, there are dangers out there and parents are probably, um, that's not a crazy thing for them to be worried about that. Oh, I agree totally. I think parents are, you know, definitely on track with that. I think I'd be worried too. We've even had it at Trust. We, uh, one of our colleagues was doing a Zoom meeting and she explained how the meeting had to be stopped because they were bombed. Really? Yes, there were racist and pornographic images, you know, infiltrating, you know, going through the screen. The New York Times just came out with something. Washington Post just came out with something where New York City has banned the use of Zoom for this very reason. And so this idea of trying to mimic the classroom environment through these available tools now creates the unintended consequences because those who seek to do harm are going to always capitalize on, you know, these kinds of instances and they, and they let no crisis go to waste. So they're hacking yeah. and, and doing all the things that they find fun and useful in this space. And so it's about buyers beware, parents beware, think critically, monitor. I really appreciate how John said he had to play to his teacher's strengths and that they really were working to not overwhelm parents. That's really important. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Also, I thought his, I mean, and I know I know from having been in Cottonwood, I know that when he says, I want every child to have the equivalent of an IEP, 
he means that I because I've seen that at, at work in Cottonwood, but that means really thinking about the individual circumstances of every single child. And um, Cottonwood is a small district, but it has the same basic uh, adult to child ratio as any place else. Um, and I find it really interesting that he's like keeping that front and center. So let's think about Johnny. He's in a situation where three of his siblings are there. Oh, well, that was another issue I should have asked him about. Um, when you have multiple siblings all sharing the same computer or the same phone, that's another another piece of why parents might be concerned about that. Absolutely. And how do they manage all of their time? And then parents whose jobs require them to be using the internet, like our job, right? So our job, we are doing, we're on the internet all the time, but we are fortunate enough where we work in an environment that we're able to do that. And a lot of us are able to work from home fairly seamlessly. Um, and so that sort of idea of how parents are managing their own professional work time, how they're helping their children manage their academic time becomes something that we're all really grappling with and coming to terms with. And I think what's really interesting about this whole idea the nation's under right now, it's one big giant interest convergence. You know, when we have families, you know, and you know this, you know, we've talked about it a lot, that we have been largely okay with this system uh, we say we're, we care about every single person, but we've been okay with longstanding inequities. And so now, you know, everyone is dealing with the same level of stress and inconvenience. We've been okay with certain groups living under constantly. And so now that we're all living with, how do I manage my childcare? How do I manage my child's homework? You know, how do I do all of these moving parts well? We are now faced with, wow, an entire segment of our population constantly lives under this type of stress. And so now maybe it'll force us into the kinds of humane behaviors and treatments and considerations of everyone in our nation, as opposed to letting it be, you know, we say we want equity as long as it doesn't infringe on our, on, on our privilege. <laughs> Well, and I think that's part of what John was, John Daniel was saying in terms of, you know, I hope this leads to something better, right? Right. If Oklahoma really takes this seriously and gets broadband to everybody, if they uh, take it seriously, get devices to everybody, get books to everybody, that would be a huge uh, step forward for Oklahoma. It would be a huge step forward for rural America if, if all of America took this on. So, so, um, so we're gonna, you know, we're gonna continue this. This was our first, you can hear, you can hear that we had some little glitches, some little uh, hesitations. We're gonna, but we're gonna keep forging ahead. There are educators all over this country who are being thoughtful and uh, really thinking through all the problems the way you heard John Daniel doing. Uh, but, 
you know, they're in different contexts. They're in rural, rural communities, urban communities, suburban communities. They're in uh, wealthy communities. They're in impoverished communities. And all of them are sort of facing some of the same issues. So we're going to be talking to more of them uh, as the weeks go by. So that wraps up the first episode of the Education Trust's podcast, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. Please subscribe and join us. If you think this is valuable, please recommend it to your friends. We're doing this because we think it will be helpful for educators around the country. If you think it is, leave a review wherever you get this podcast. And if there's a particular educator you'd like to hear from, let me know who and why. You can email me at extraordinarydistricts at edtrust.org or tweet at edtrust or tweet me at at Karen Chenoweth. That's K-A-R-I-N-C-H-E-N-O-W-E-T-H or tweet at Tangi at Remarsh76. That's capital R-E-M-A-R-S-H-76. Thank you to Mike Patillo, who is recording and editing this podcast from his splendid isolation at Tonal Park in Tacoma Park, Maryland. He was able to record our conversation through the magic of Zoom. And thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing support for this podcast. Thanks, and see you next time.